0: everyone. This week we'll talk about machine learning in healthcare and in particular about personalization in healthcare. And we have a special guest today, Stefan. So Stefan is from Iceland. At some point he moved to Sweden where he worked at Kink and HM. Then he moved back to Iceland and joined Sidekick Health as a director of data science and AI. So welcome Stefan. Thank you. So before we go into our main topic of machine learning in healthcare and personalization in healthcare. Let's start with your background. Can you tell us about your career journey so far? Yes,
1: absolutely. But I I think I better be sort of shortened it a little bit. I think I had my first job at the age of 12 in the last century. So I'll just do very short snapshots of (laughs) the early career and then focus on the uh, more relevant stuff. So I started working as a developer, rather young, like 18 with a part-time job. In high school, then that was in 96. In 99, I was able to build my first, or was given the task of building my first data pipeline for the notorious Y2K problem. That was very interesting. (laughs) And much of my sort of early developing work was around building programs that could control the graphics in TV programs, like uh, live sports shows and election programs and things like that. So I still today think I've written most of my lines in a programming language called Delphi that nobody uses anymore.
0: That was my first language. Oh, really? Yeah. <laughs> so very nice language. <laughs> yeah, it's a nice one. Exactly. Nobody cares about it anymore, but it was a nice one. I think C-Sharp took over at some point. In 2006 and seven, I had a
1: great experience where I was building an enterprise data warehouse from scratch with a a great team at uh, the largest telecom company in Iceland. And that experience has sort of helped me a lot in in my current and recent jobs. But if I fast forward over these snapshots and then sort of start being more current, I think I'll start in 2015, where I left, took a very good decision, but a difficult one. I left a very nice and cozy job as a director of analytics and modeling in uh, one of the three major banks in Iceland. And moved with my family to to Stockholm, where I joined King, the makers of Candy Crush, and that was a great experience. Most of the time there, I spent uh, building the AI team there and the AI research, sort of part of that team also, where we did a lot of collaboration with universities, and uh, I supervised uh, quite a few master students, and we were building some nice products. Some failed, some were successful. So maybe we discuss that a little bit later. Uh, in 2019, I decided to move over to h H&M, still in Stockholm. They were in the very early phase of building up a machine learning function, machine learning team. And as you can ma- imagine, one of the biggest retailers in the world with awesome data and sort of images, text recognition, and all of these things come together. So I learned a lot there and just we were focusing a lot on, OK, what's the best team structure? How do we build? What's the best practices in, in solving all of these problems? So that was the early part of that job. When, when we got more people in, I moved more into a similar part as I had uh, been doing at King before. So this uh, research collaboration with universities, master students, sort of trying to be the translator between the state of the art and academia. that We're only focusing on the latest methods. And then the business people that are only focusing on money and don't care about the methods. So you're trying to <laughs> sort of merge these two and then be in in between there to sort of cre- create some value out of that collaboration. Uh, late 2020, I was offered this position at uh, Sidekick Health, a startup slash scale up living in with the main office in Iceland, but we have offices both in Berlin and, and Boston and Stockholm, but. The job there was basically to build up the data science and AI team in the company and sort of to contribute to making this what I hope it will become a fantastic data-driven company with world class machine learning solutions and digital therapeutics solutions so that's, that's something I had to basically jump on and started there in early
0: 2021. So this is a completely off topic but I can't help but ask you how is Icelandic and Swedish are different? Are they very different languages or they're similar?
1: <laughs> well, I sometimes explain this as sort of thousand years ago, it was the same language. Mm-hmm. And then Sweden and Denmark and Norway decided to evolve, but we did not. So we, we can still read the Icelandic sagas from 1200 something. Yeah, I think that's the main difference. So we, we still have more inflections, more sort of nuances that usually evolve out of
0: languages through vikings
1: right i don't
0: know about that okay so like coming back to our topic main topic of machine learning in healthcare Mm -hmm. usually when i hear machine learning in healthcare well in general in healthcare usually i think about clinical trials but when Mm -hmm. in particular people talk about machine learning then i imagine all these x-ray images or some images and then people would run deep learning on top of these images so it's mostly about processing medical images. Exactly. Is this correct or there are more applications of machine learning in healthcare?
1: Of course, I myself, I, I, this is what comes first to mind. I mean, a typical vision you have is there's an X-ray of some broken arm or, or whatnot. And, and then you have a deep learning image recognition to tell you, okay, this is wrong do this. That is a use case, of course, but there are many more. And to name a few, I mean disease diagnosis where you, where you maybe have symptoms and measurements, but it's not obvious, okay, what disease is this? So trying to automatically distinguish or sort of recognize that. There's a lot of uh, work in, of course, through the pharmacy companies and, and things related to that drug discovery, okay. What kind of drugs can you have? Are they related? Can they be tailored to your gene settings or something like that? I think we've all probably heard about DeepMind and the Alpha Fold, where they are trying to predict the folding of proteins, which turned out to be a very big sort of game changer in this, sort of to understand the biology behind all of this. And, and then you can move into more sort of personalized medicine where you get different drugs and slightly different treatments, for example, for your cancer treatment based on your background and, and medical history and things like that. And there are probably many more that I'm
0: not mentioning but to, just to name a few do you know anything about this alpha fold? i heard that it exists but my knowledge of biology is so non existent that i couldn't <laughs> appreciate the, the well i heard that it's there was a breakthrough in biology because yes. of deep learning but i don't know anything about the biology to really appreciate this breakthrough i'm
1: a little bit ashamed to say that today when i was younger i, I I thought that biology was a little bit inferior, we didn't have enough numbers. <laughs> so I'm probably the same, I'm sort of not very good with biology. But I, I read the paper on AlphaFold from DeepMind, and it seems very interesting. But uh, I'm on the same pace as you, are. I'm not an expert on this
0: at all. So did you understand a lot in that paper or your lack of knowledge in biology?
1: No, I think, well, it's been some time since I read it, so I couldn't really quote it, but I, I in my memory I, I thought I understood <laughs> kind of that, but I love that's probably also because Deepmind puts a lot of effort into making their sort of content accessible by the public so I, I've read and, and taken much more deep dive on the uh, earlier stuff they did they did on the Alpha Go and, and alpha zero, and that that's very accessible or can be mm-hmm.
0: I guess the target audience of this paper are machine learning researchers, not biologists, right? Yes. Or maybe both.
1: Probably both, but then they usually uh, get to publish in Nature as well, so that's where they...
0: Ah, so everyone, basically every scientist uh, becomes the target audience. Mm -hmm. And before this episode, I was doing a little bit research about the company where you work at right now, Sidekick Mm -hmm. Health. And I know that this is in healthcare domain. And yeah, I thought maybe you're doing these medical images like other healthcare companies. So I went to the website, I checked the description, and it was saying that you're doing gamified digital therapeutics built on science rooted in behavioral economics and scalable across multiple therapeutic areas. I must admit that most of these words do not tell me anything. <laughs> so I'm not sure I really understood what you do. So maybe can you? decipher what it actually means?
1: I can try. <laughs> no, no, it, it should be very simple, but you know how sometimes the language and web pages are <laughs> it's sort of put in specific custom. I mean, that that's another field in machine learning and AI and in healthcare is sort of the treatment itself. Can we personalize the treatment more? Can we get more out of the treatment? If we you, you take a step back and think about, okay, we have streamlined healthcare in many ways, and which is great. We, I mean, we know you come into a doctor, you meet them for five minutes, they diagnose you, you get a treatment or a medicine, and you're out, nothing more to be done. I mean, this is a lot of our experience of healthcare. And often this is just enough. But all this streamlining also means that if you have multiple diseases, you're not really getting that communication. you just go to an expert, they treat one thing. And you're really losing the empathy, right? Because it's been streamlined so much. And there are studies showing that empathy is a big factor in, in often sort of better outcomes or treatments and all of that. So our goal is basically, we want to maximize the quality life years of a person's life. So that sometimes means we can try to cure a, a disease or help them live longer. It also means there are a lot of people that have uh, chronic diseases, which they have to live with for decades, but just being able to educate them and help them taking the right steps, developing their daily habits in a better way can actually increase the quality of life substantially. So that's what we're trying to build these sort of, we have more touch points with the users and patients than you would do in normal healthcare because you have this through an app. But in the app, we're also trying to personalize, oh, you feel better. You're better engaged. We're trying to personalize all the content you, you get. We take into account if you have more than one disease. And then we try to merge this together in a, in a nice way. But that is a huge task and, and, of course, work in progress. And at the same time, we're trying to add this gamification level on top of it because a big factor in changing behavior of people gradually over time is the engagement. So we need to engage and and need to feel excited about what you're doing. So what we do there is that we have collaboration with sort of charity and we create an incentive in the app. So every time you finish a task we give you, you're handed out this altruistic reward. So you you collect water drops and then you can donate the water drops to people in need of fresh water. And then in the background, we are collaborating with a charity that takes care of that. So that's the sort of setup of this. We're trying to merge this and, and sort of three main factors of people in the company are medical doctors. So we have all the background and expert knowledge of the diseases. Then behavioral psychologists that know everything there is that you should know about sort of how do you get people to take the steps towards change? How can you not them towards the right change? And then people like myself and, and more people in the company with a background in the gaming industry. So we're trying to merge these three together to create this kind of engaging solution that can help you improve your life.
0: Yeah, so when you mentioned uh, gamification and creating more engagement, I um, so since you worked at King, uh, so I played some games from King, like Bubble Witch, for example. Mm-hmm. And King does it really well like to getting people on the hook. Yes so i think uh, you really mastered that at king so i guess this is one of the things that is quite useful now from your past experience right that you now can apply
1: yes but at the same time there are critical differences i mean we don't want to keep you in the app mm-hmm. for hours because most of the activity you need to do is outside of the app so that, that is a very interesting difference between the two
0: uh use cases yeah and as I understood correctly, uh, the main target audience of the app are patients, not the doctors, or both?
1: No, the main target is, is the patient, but we are collaborating with sort of, uh, pharmacy companies or insurance providers with doctors.
0: Not doctors who take patients every day? Uh,
1: not at the moment.
0: Mm-hmm. Okay. Yeah, because I imagine that they don't really care much about gamification. They just have so many patients to deal with, so they just probably don't have time yes so if i understood correctly what you do is let's say a person has some disease some chronic disease and they need to enter these details Mm -hmm. right in the app and then the app would tell you okay you need to i don't know drink more water drink less coffee exercise more this is what my doctor tells me
1: (laughs) (laughs) yes this is a little bit more than that but today you are given a specific pin code where you, that you can go in and then you enter the right program right away. But a big, big part of, I mean, typical diabetes patient, for example, a big proportion of people dealing with diabetes are dealing with problems that come from lack of health literacy. So just having very accessible content on, okay, you have this disease because of this, you can control it with this. Just having that in a very clear way, because speaking to a doctor, that can be difficult. As I said, they have five minutes, they speak doctor the language, and are often very proud of that language. So you don't understand half of what they say. So that, that's the first step, just to get closer to the people. So they feel, okay, there is empathy here. You, you really care about me. You, you can speak to me. And So educate people about, okay, this is your disease. You need to think about the diet and how you rest and how you exercise. But that's just the starting part. And then you, be, you need to create a program where you sort of step by step with the behavioral psychology, you, you nuts people towards creating habits. I mean, that, that's the non-trivial task to do. I mean, you, you know how, how often you, you start something, you have great hopes and, and then you maybe fail soon. <laughs>
0: Every January. <laughs> <laughs> Every January, exactly. <laughs> and then like maybe first week, so I don't want about doing exercises and then oh, it's winter, I don't really want to run. Uh, maybe I'll wait summer. Yes. But when in summer. Uh, exactly.
1: yeah, a, so. <laughs> a big part of that is is behavioral psychology. I mean the goal setting is maybe not the best. You aim too high, or or you don't have sort of small steps to gradually push you towards something. You don't have someone constantly reminding you as a like a friendly ah where it's just it's okay, don't worry, continue. We all forget one day, continue, let's try to do 3,000 steps today,
0: something like that. Ah, interesting. I really wanted to try it now. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so um, we already talked a bit about how your previous background was useful, like at yeah. Kick, for example, where you knew how to attract or keep people engaged. But there is a difference. Yeah. But it also seems like it's quite different from your previous jobs, right? So previously you were working more like, although now when I think about this, so actually it, this is an app and what you were doing before it was also an app. Yeah. So to some extent, there are some similarities, right? So maybe yes. can you tell us about the differences between what you do now and what you're doing before as a data scientist, let's say, yeah. at Kink?
1: I think it's much more similar than you would think in the beginning. So. You are basically, you have a program, some kind of solution, and you're in a company where you really want to create this data driven culture from the data science sort of perspective. Uh, You want decisions to be data driven. If you're going to change features in the app, you want them to be backed by data. And you want some kind of machine learning part of it as well. So, on a very high level, it's actually very similar. So, you need to create this culture, you need to build up the infrastructure and have the buy-in from the business people that, okay, don't just shoot from the hip, we, <laughs> we need to be data-driven. So that's exactly the same in, in both places. But as I sort of hinted earlier, there is a big, big and very interesting difference in because we have social media, we have gaming apps that are optimizing for just keeping you in the app forever or <laughs> whatever platform they're working on. They give you content, they play on your feelings. I mean, that's all the debate about Facebook that is dividing people into because it's it's always optimized to give you more and more sort of people that you get more emotional about. We're not trying this. We don't care if you're just 10 minutes a day and yeah, just reading the educational content, seeing, okay, these are my tasks, I'll do them. Then you come in again, okay, I finished this. Something like that. That's fine if you just follow the path and sort of get better. So that's the main, main difference there.
0: The main metric for you. So let's say games like that, like Candy Crush, Bubble Wish, they aim at optimizing, maximizing the time you spend in the app, right? So time you spend playing. Or the money you spend. but <laughs> the money, yes. Uh, <laughs> it depends on how exactly you monetize this particular exactly. user. Yeah. But then when we talk about your application that you work on right now, mm-hmm. Something that comes to my mind is how often people return, right? So how often they, like how many days, uh, let's say they open. So probably what you want to have is like people open the app every day. Yeah. It doesn't matter if it's five minutes or exactly. more. Exactly. Is it the metric you want to optimize or there's something yeah. else?
1: No, exactly. So creating a habit is exactly this. You need to just, okay, if, if we can make you open three o'clock in the afternoon, the app for 10 minutes every day, I mean, that, that would be awesome then you're probably following, I mean, it's only a proxy, but it's probably highly correlated with you following the therapy that or the program we give you, and you are gradually building up a habit. Building up a habit takes weeks or months. So just being able to have this happening repeatedly is more important than you staying in the app for hours. Or much more important, we, we absolutely don't want to spend time in the app and you should be out working. Hmm. <laughs> Yes. But there is another difference also with an environment like Candy Crush. You are with patients in treatment. So you have to be much more careful about, I mean, if you're changing a feature in Candy Crush, okay, should this level be slightly more difficult or slightly easier than it is today? I mean, you just do it and <laughs> see what happens. Run
0: A-B test, right?
1: Yes. In the healthcare app, you, you really need to be careful. Okay, let's make sure that this is okay. We're going to be not jeopardizing anyone's health.
0: Mm-hmm. And to that, to the experiment in this uh, scenario could be like, let's ask people instead of walking 3,000 steps per day, let's ask them to walk 4,000 steps. And then we see if it changes the habit, right?
1: No, exactly. I mean, that's why companies like King and, and sort of the games like Candy Cross and the social media are so good at uh, retaining you is that they are constantly experimenting and doing A-B tests giving the audience two or three different versions, and then okay, you pick up in a lot of that, and then you could actually build up to a better, better or more engaging solution. So we, we are definitely doing that, AP testing a lot, but the metric we are optimizing for is, is not necessarily click through rate or time spent.
0: Have you ever used Duolingo? Yes. Yeah. No. So for those who haven't, so this is uh, a tool, an app for learning languages, mm-hmm. and they have gamification, gamification inside to keep you motivated to learn. Uh, My wife is actually using it to learn French right now. Mm -hmm. And I can see that they did quite a good job of keeping people engaged or also making sure that they come back. And yeah, so the the question we have from Gregor is, I'm wondering how much of difficulty it is to enforce such behavior that you can push uh, using approaches like Duolingo by identification. Does this reward that you get uh, help?
1: Yes, so I and mean, we, we do a lot of UX research, of course, where we interview people afterwards and ask them, okay, what is working, what is not working, what needs improvement. And people are generally very happy with the reward system, especially probably the strongest part is, is this kind of empathy and the, the companionship you, you feel that this kind of
0: and talk about the reward system, right? Did we? Maybe you can also mention a few words, uh, say a few words, what kind of reward they get for, I don't know, walking 4,000 steps.
1: Yes, so we give them a task every day according to our program. So, and every time they, they finish the task, they collect water drops at the moment.
0: Ah, so, right, we did talk about yeah,
1: but, but that can be extended and we're looking into sort of, okay, maybe we we want to offer them through different kind of charity, collaboration, uh, a different kind of reward, so it's closer to your heart. I mean, planting trees in the Amazon or something else. So it's more engaging, you're more enthusiastic about, okay, I really want to do this donation.
0: Yeah, Because in Duolingo, the reward system that they have is just made out of thin air, right? Yes. Like it's basically, you have a leaderboard and you compete against people you don't know. Yes. And somehow it works.
1: You see in many games where you have these vanity items that pe- people really respond to that. We just thought that for this kind of app that we are building, you, you need a little bit more.
0: OK. Maybe can you tell what kind of problems uh, does your team solve? Maybe you can also mention a few last projects that you worked on.
1: Yes. So we have been putting a lot of effort into just building the foundation. I mean, I started. A little over a year ago. And then we were sort of a much smaller company and two data scientists, and there was nothing in place, basically. So we needed to build up all the foundation and uh, infrastructure, sort of build data pipelines, dashboards, just as first steps to make everyone data driven. And I have a very sort of personally, probably a strong opinion about okay, we want to go into machine learning and personalization, but every machine learning project you start without proper analytics and proper data is bound to fail. So that's why we have been putting a lot of effort into the foundation and building up AP testing capabilities and and things like that. But that said, we have done a lot of that. So we are able to start and have have started uh, working on what we think are pretty exciting projects. I mean, the personalization is going to be a key part in this. So we have some simple logic today, but we want to make that sort of much much more advanced. So the treatment, personalization, the, the task we give you, uh, the modules you get, each given point in time is the correct one, the, the one you need at the moment. I mean, People are very different. With a chronic disease, you might one week be quite depressed. And then we need to sort of slow down. Okay, let's not put two demanding tasks on you. Let's give you content where you can do more mindfulness and things like that. So we need to be very adapted to this. And then just all the tasks you've given, okay, we know that people are, that are similar to you, they like this kind of
0: tasks. May I interrupt you? Sorry, I'm really curious about this slowing down. Do you have a model that says, okay, this user seems like he, uh, not in a good mood. So like, you have a model that detects that?
1: At the moment, we have very, rather frequent questionnaires. So you can ah, okay. self-assess how you
0: are. Yeah, like if you can solve something without machine learning, <laughs> it's better, right? just ask the user.
1: Mm, yeah, I mean, you should start there. Okay. So I think that should always be the approach. I mean, start with something simple, and then you have data, then you have everything in place to automate it. Don't try to automate out of thin air. Right? Don't think mm-hmm. that works. Yeah. But we also have just, we see the activity in the app is it dropping, and we have started and want to go much more into that direction where we have your variables where you can Sort of measure your heart rate variability or your sort of the number of steps we already have that of course but but more and more of this
0: so usually when i think of healthcare healthcare industry i might be wrong don't judge me i never worked in healthcare but usually when i think about this it's regulated it's quite slow there is a lot of legacy software a lot of outdated software but what you describe me is pretty much different from that right so you're you realize the importance about having proper analytics, data pipelines, having all these A-B tests? Yeah. Is it because you're like a, you started at scale up? So you, it's a, recently, it's a rather fresh company, right? So you now realize of the importance of being data driven yeah. and all that, right?
1: Usually innovation is at its best when you have experts from different fields coming together. And, and it's somehow the space between them that makes all the magic. And I, I think that's what we have. So having the medical doctors and the behavioral psychologists that come with all of the theory and, and everything around the sort of the G's and psychology. But then you have a lot of people coming from gaming industry, not only myself, the CTO and many of the developers that developed the, sort of the whole solution from the beginning, they all come from the gaming industry. So you have this kind of dynamic there that I think is, is very important. I mean, the gaming industry is very data-driven in general and, and people are always testing
0: out their hypotheses. Mm -hmm. And yeah, we have a question. So I mentioned that uh, healthcare is quite a regulated area. Mm -hmm. And usually in healthcare, people take it very seriously, questions about data privacy and uh, this kind of stuff. Does it change the way you work, having in mind that you have to keep these things in mind, like data privacy and all that, and how difficult it becomes that you need to deal with all these kind of things?
1: absolutely love the question. I think it's the other way around. I think all the other industries need to pick up with data privacy and they are gradually, but we have seen so many instances of data abuse. So I don't see this as a problem. I see this as a sort of great, then I'm starting at the right, <laughs> right end. I'm not starting with everything messed up and then gradually trying to clean it up. I start just, okay, this has to be good. So I, I think that's just where we are moving with every solution. I mean, Apple has, for example, completely changed their policy. So you now, now your the default settings are usually opt-in instead of opt-out, and then there's a huge change happening.
0: You basically need to do a lot of uh, prior work to prepare for that. And then once you have a framework in place that can take care of all this data privacy issues, then you can move as fast as in, let's say, a traditional company.
1: Yes. We just make sure that we are using the best possible solutions and we make sure that, okay, first there is a personally identifiable data and that's very sort of locked <laughs> locked away. But then we just depersonalize all, all the data and then the data scientists and data analysts come in and they can do all of the same work as before. They just never see the personalized data.
0: So there is a question from Nelson. How do we deal with issues of ethics in machine learning in healthcare? Like, I guess you mentioned one of these things is making sure that, you know, following the Apple suggestions, is uh, opt-in instead of opt-out, right? And then now keeping track of all personalized data and unless we really need it, we don't use it, right? Things like this. How else we can deal with all these ethical issues that come together with, you know, medical data?
1: Yeah. First of all, ethics means that you, you need people to think sort of independently because ethics is different from just rules. Right. I think that's an important fact. You 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 need to have people that are really care about this. So they they care about the patient. Okay, we're trying to do the best for them, but I mean we can be hurting them if we if we
0: don't do this the best way we can. Empathy you mentioned, right? So we need to be empathetic.
1: And you have in I mean we have of course, then rules are like, like GDPR and HIPAA in the US, they are quite strict and, and very, very useful and should be used everywhere, <laughs> of course. But I th- think you also always need this independent thinking. You always end up on a crossroad. Okay, am I crossing a gray line here or not where the rules are not catching up with you? I mean, they, they always come after. You. So I think that's needed as well.
0: Yeah, so I wanted to go back to what we were talking about. Mm -hmm. So you said that the app based on the customer profile, question profile makes different recommendations and then personalized recommendations based on that. Maybe can you tell us a bit more about that? Like how does this personalization work?
1: Yes, so again, this is of course work in progress, but I think it's quite interesting. I mean, think about Spotify and Netflix. There, you have recommended systems. that are always giving you more and more content similar to what you liked before. You have this collaborative filtering where you are sort of through some nice technique, matrix factorization or something more advanced. You're sort of you know how people similar to you, how they watch content that you haven't seen before. But what we are trying to do, I sometimes explain this internally as imagine Spotify where you come in and you have heavy metal profile. You listen to rock music. But Spotify has an agenda, they want you to listen to country music. So they're trying to nudge you towards that. First, they give you occasional Johnny Cass songs, but after two months you're just listening to Tolly Parton. So that, that's kind of the recommended system we are, we are trying to build, we're trying to move you gradually towards uh, better behavior. And, and maybe it's not as difficult as making you listen to Tolly Parton, but <laughs> it's still a very interesting task. It, it's sort of recommend the system
0: with an agenda. Does uh, Spotify actually do that?
1: <laughs> to make you listen to Dolly Parton? Yeah. I don't know.
0: <laughs> oh, well, when it comes to podcasts, I think they're trying to make me listen to Joe Rogan. <laughs> that. Maybe, maybe. But that's so,
1: probably just coming from marketing then. I don't think
0: they have. Yeah. for that. <laughs> But maybe they have a hidden agenda there. <laughs> but this is uh, like Spotify how to say, well, this is their podcast, right? Mm-hmm. That's why they advertise it everywhere. Yes. Okay, interesting. And in this case, in your case, country music will be better habits?
1: Yes, kind of. Of course, it's an analogy, so it's it's not perfect analogy. I just thought it was funny to bring in country. I'm not a big fan of them.
0: The <laughs> <laughs> so country music is good for your health, right?
1: Yeah, okay, now I see where the analysis is breaking.
0: <laughs> uh, I'm wondering, so you say you have this collaborative filtering, and in this case, well, we have the rows that are users or columns, whatever. So users are users, right? But what are the items that you're recommending? Are they articles? Or are they particular tasks or things people need to do? or what? Yes,
1: so we, we are building up a library of content sort of, I mean, from educational content, sort of videos explaining something, some content cards that you can read, and then to exercises and, and, and all of these things. So we are building up this this catalog. So we have will eventually have a large list of products basically to offer you. So you, you are ending up with a typical sort of recommended system from that. But then there is this added flavor in the end.
0: Yeah, because i imagine if you start with uh, recommendations of i don't know you need to do 10 push-ups per day or something like this Mm -hmm. then for an average person like me oh okay i know it's good for my health but i'm not going to do that (laughs) you probably want to start slowly right and push me gradually towards listening to country music rather than okay like here's the country music listen to it
1: yes but this touches a little bit in on the Fact, sort of how you approach machine learning. Uh, I think just jumping into a complicated collaborative filtering is not the right way. The first step is maybe just set up an A-B test and see how two different versions of a content work. I mean, then you have asked the developers to develop the program in such a way that you can actually show two different contents. And that's a key thing you need to have for building up more advanced features. I mean, just having the variant availability. So you need to start very simple. And then, even if you, if you have a variant that beats on average everything else, you can start there. Okay, offer that to everyone. But gradually, you're building up knowledge and data sets that you, you can actually train on later.
0: So there are two ways.
1: So I think people are often jumping ahead of themselves and, and sort of, okay, I know I have the vision of this awesome model, but I have to sort of hold my horses. It's, <laughs> it's not time for it yet.
0: When it comes to A-B test, it feels to me maybe I'm wrong, but they are less personalized, right? So you're trying to test the same piece of content or two pieces of content in this case, if we're talking about A-B test, on the entire population or maybe on one segment of your users, right? Yes. This is not the same as personalized recommendation.
1: But it is very, very linked because if you offer everyone an A-B test to begin with, There are so many low-hanging fruits that you're just improving your program easily if you just take the winner off in every test. But then you gradually reach a point where you see, okay, now I'm increasing this but decreasing this. Or this is good for this part of the population but not this one. Okay, now you're starting to think, okay, what's the difference between these groups? And then you maybe see for for a mobile game, for example, you see, okay, these are the payers. These are not the payers. Okay, now you can start... To personalize, you offer this to the payers and not to the non-payers. And then okay, this is smart. How about more segments? And you add a few more segments, and now you have four or five segments. That make sense. But it's starting to get complicated to <laughs> maintain all of these different versions. So that's where you move into okay. Now I actually have a lot of training data from all of these testing to see, okay, can I just automate the collaborative filtering or or just clustering to begin with? Okay. And i'll just look at the 100 nearest neighbors of you okay that's the first approach okay that you would behave similar to them so i think this is important that people sort of gradually take the baby steps
0: Mm -hmm. and uh, here the fundamentally important thing is having this platform for experimenting right if you don't have this and if you directly jump into collaborative filtering or i don't know the latest deep learning model for recommender systems without having that, yeah, you're moving in the dark, right?
1: Yeah, exactly. So I think in my mind, the two most important inputs into starting a machine learning is to have strong analytics. You need to be able to analyze what is happening. You need to break down the AP test and understand the data that you have. And then, of course, you need good data. If either of this is missing, in my experience, this is usually the deciding factor. If you have to have both of them, the machine learning project will go well. If you are ignoring either of them, you will probably fail.
0: And you fail quite late after spending many months, right? Exactly. Which is even worse than just failing, right? Just train a model and finding out that it's not working on your offline data is one thing, but then spending many, many months trying to build a perfect model only to find out that users actually don't like it.
1: Exactly. And that's what you gain with taking the baby steps. You're always creating value. So you know where you stand today. So you're going from A to B and you know where you want to be approximately. And if you just jump to building that B part, you're doing exactly what you explained. But if you try to form a path from A to B that gives you the most value along the way, you will learn much faster and you will create value along the way too and then get a much better buy-in from everyone around you. Because often when you're starting a machine learning project, there is one person doing something. So you really need buy-in to have more resources, more compute power and all of these things that you actually need.
0: And I think companies like gaming companies and uh, IT tech companies, e-commerce companies, they learned that that it's important to have analytics, to have experimentation platform and all that. But what do you think is the state in uh, the healthcare industry? Do companies, that work, operate, vendors that operate in this industry, do they also realize the importance of these things? Or um, I think so. It's a bit uh, behind.
1: Depending on where you are, I mean, the whole full pharmacy world has been doing this for decades.
0: Yeah, clinical trials, they did it before it had existed, right?
1: So th- there is definitely a culture for this. So pe- people are aware of this. I mean, all the kind of biases that you create when you don't really have an AP test or RCT, which is the sort of clinical trial uh, lingo for it.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: So there's a culture for all that, and they know that, okay, if you're not doing perfect splits in A and B and, and even C, you will create biases. There is a survival bias when you're only measuring the people that actually do something, uh, and all the people that didn't do something, they just left your platform. I mean, there are so many pitfalls in there. So there's definitely knowledge about this. I'm not knowledgeable enough, but there might be a difference between, okay, how do you transform that to feature improvement in an app? Ah. So that, that's slightly different because typical clinical trials are huge. They cost a terrible amount of money and take years, which is when you're developing an app, ah. this is no good.
0: I think general population learned about clinical trials uh, now when uh, COVID uh, vaccinations were tested. Right? Yes. And everyone was asking why it takes so long to develop a vaccine. Yes. Because of this thing, right? So they need to test that this thing actually works.
1: Yeah. Why it takes so long? It was, yeah, then of course, a record time one year when mm-hmm. it should have taken 10.
0: Yeah, usually it takes a lot more, right, to yeah. actually run all these tests. Exactly. Hopefully they worked. <laughs> we'll, we'll find out sooner. <laughs> right?
1: Find out, yes. It worked for me at least.
0: <laughs> so, if I want to work in the healthcare industry as a machine learning engineer or data scientist or data engineer, how much do I need to know about healthcare in general? Do I need to have like an MD status <laughs> to work there? I think it differs a lot between
1: what exactly you're doing. Probably in in some parts of it, you really need to not have uh, domain expert knowledge. But my experience in in just data science is it's more important just to have the right approach. So you you come to a problem and, and you know, okay, this is the kind of approach I need to have. I need to take these, as we talked about earlier, take these baby steps, build up the knowledge, be humble about okay maybe my solution is wrong maybe there's something wrong here and there and just this way of working is, is is probably more important than the domain knowledge in many cases but there are definitely some cases where that's probably not enough
0: in your case you mentioned that you have medical doctors or yes. who are domain experts in your case yeah. then behavioral scientists who are also domain experts and then the engineers, the data scientists, who take care of the way of working, as you mentioned, right? Mm-hmm. And then what you do is basically get everyone in the same room, virtual room, I guess, because you're in different countries. <laughs> and then you figure out, okay, how do we use this knowledge from these people and put this knowledge on the, you know, way of working when it comes to data, building right. these analytical platforms, data pipelines, and so on. Well, was it difficult for you to actually learn this? No, not
1: not at all. I mean. All of these people are very data-driven just by nature. Mm. The biggest challenge is maybe to tell a medical doctor, okay, now we're testing a feature in the app. Let's just test it. What? (laughs) No, no, wait. (laughs) When you do medical things, that's taking much more careful. But it's all about the risk involved. If, If you're testing a feature that doesn't have any risk involved, then I think you should take the sort of gaming industry approach. Just test it. I mean... Your gut feeling is may be correct half of the time at best. Just ask the users; they will tell you much faster and much more accurately what they like and what they don't like. So, but that was a little bit of a sort of change. Also, when you're building up a culture and a company, you want to build sort of our, one of our main objectives is to build a data-driven company, and that means you have to be quick enough with the answers. So the business is making a decision now. But many data scientists want to sort of, okay, they have studied through university. Okay, I need to be perfect in what I do. And if you are, you are basically killing the objective of being data-driven. You need to be able to act fast, give somewhat accurate numbers, but they're not perfect. So that's, there's a little bit of a contradiction in that. And that's also something that needed a lot of communication around. If we want to be data-driven, we need to act fast. We need to iterate. We start with data pipelines that are just spaghetti code, just to get something out and then you gradually make a proper pipeline out of it in airflow and everything you need but if you start with no i want to build this in airflow there's just radio silence for months
0: (laughs) for the business (laughs) yeah right and uh, you mentioned risk and as i understood so for your case risk is not that high because you're not recommending medicine right you're not saying you have to take these pills it depends. I mean, some parts of the program can be very sensitive. Okay. So there are some risks. Yes. Like I cannot recommend eating sweets to people with diabetes, right?
1: No, no. I mean, an example we, we often use to remind us ourselves of this is, I mean, if you have heart failure problems, mm-hmm. it's not good to drink too much water because your lungs cannot process all of that so you end up with liquid in your, in your lungs. But in most other programs, it's good to drink more water. Mm-hmm. So, we could not just create an A B test. Uh, let's suggest 10 glasses of
0: water. Let's we'll see what happens.
1: Okay. So we, we always yeah. need to have this discussion with the medical doctors to see okay, we want to test this. Does it make sense? Is it safe? And when it's safe, we, we can be sort of very mm-hmm. agile about it. When it's not safe, we need to be much more careful.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah, makes sense. Makes a lot of sense. But you don't recommend medicine, right? So, you only take it's more like about lifestyle rather than Yes. Taking these concrete kind of pills.
1: Well, we are collaborating with mm, pharmacy companies, but then there is a specific medicine that they have been prescribed from a doctor before.
0: Yeah, so you still need to go to a doctor and then say, okay, this app recommended me to take a pill. Yes, we you cannot prescribe. Give them. me a prescription. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Sometimes it's annoying. I know I need to to have this medicine. Yes. But I just need to go to a doctor and the doctor <laughs> kind of confirms it giving me a prescription. Yes,
1: but that's a legal process also.
0: <laughs> yeah, but it's better this way that rather than I just go to the pharmacy um, by doing self-diagnosis, right? And then by, uh, I don't know, something that can, well, cause more harm. So I've heard you're hiring, right? Can you tell us more about that?
1: Yes, we've been growing rapidly. When I started, we were maybe 30-something A year ago, I think we're 130, 40 today, and we'll probably be 250 by the end of the year. So, and we are rapidly growing the data science and AI team. We are about 10 at the moment. I think we'll double in size until the end of the year. And that's counting everyone all the data engineers, all the machine learning engineers, data analysts, data scientists everyone included there. So, yes, we are looking (laughs) for good people. And we, we know that. I mean this is a domain where it's a fierce competition so we we are fully aware of that that we need to build a world-class solution there is no middle ground either you're a top-class app or you're dead (laughs) there's nothing in between so we need to hire great people for that
0: so you're hiring in germany in sweden and in iceland right
1: yes that's the focus now so as i said we have offices in these countries but also in boston but uh, we're focusing on efforts in mostly berlin and, and stockholm but mm-hmm. also Reykjavik but just as you might know there are fewer people in iceland than most other countries
0: <laughs> you're the first guest we had from iceland
1: <laughs> yeah i'm not surprised not
0: that many people i don't think i know anyone apart from you no okay <laughs> but i noticed that we have a question from slido so the question is I don't know if you know about this. What are your thoughts on brain-computer interfaces like Neuralink? Do you know anything about this?
1: I don't know enough to say anything intelligent about that, I'm afraid. (laughs) Sorry about that.
0: (laughs) Do you think AI could be used to treat or cure psychiatric disorders like bipolar disorders?
1: That's a very interesting question. Of course, I'm not sure, but it could probably help at least. Uh, I mean, this is like bipolar diseases. I mean, you, you're affected a lot by just, okay, now the now there's more brightness, now there's more darkness. So you, you get more swings than, so if, if you can predict that, know about that in, in advance and try to, for example, could monitor the heart rate variability or, or something like that, that is okay this is usually an ind- indication that you're you're going too high it's been raising uh, or increasing over the past week yeah it could definitely help but cure is, is, is a different thing probably
0: mm-hmm. like you said with uh, chronic diseases yeah. it's more about learning educating people how to lead a better life with these diseases right other yes, than exactly. completely and this is what you do, right? So you yes. educate people how to form habits such that uh, yep. they can lead a better life. Mm-hmm. Okay. okay. I think on that note we can wrap up. Maybe is there anything is there anything you want to mention before we finish?
1: No, I can't really think of anything. Just thanks a lot for the talk. It was very very nice talking to you and, and always yeah. nice to talk okay. about this kind of subject and these things. Yeah.
0: Somebody has questions, uh, what's the best way to reach out to you? LinkedIn or? Yes, uh, or Okay, then uh, that's all from me. So thanks again for joining us today, for sharing your expertise with us. And thanks everyone for joining us as well. Thanks for asking questions and have a great weekend.
1: Yep, like us. Thanks. Bye bye. Goodbye.